you have a Bible, uh, grab that. We read from the Bible every week. It is our hope. It is our source. It is our very life because inside of it we find our way to Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So grab that, Daniel chapter 7. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the row in front of you. If you don't own one, um, people here may get tired of hearing this, but that's our gift to you because we believe that you should have that. We believe that you should be able to read that. We believe that you will find life and love and God inside of that. While you're flipping there, I just want to remind you of the beginning of the chapter. Two weeks ago, Ed started this chapter just kind of painting a picture for us of these beasts, and we'll kind of see an animation of that here in a minute. Um, kind of gave some historical context as to the kingdoms that flowed out of uh, the kingdom of Babylon. This, this section right here does not fall chronologically appropriate. The book has been divided into two sections. There is this kind of narrative storytelling section at the beginning, chapters 1 through 6, and then chapters 7 through 12 are narrative storytelling, but they have an apocalyptic, uh, visionary, prophetic tone to them. And so they've kind of taken them out of their chronological order and lumped them together so that we can understand Daniel, his friends, and their faithfulness and how God was with them because they were faithful to God. Now we're going to see God interacting with them directly. Up until this point, the visions that Daniel has interpreted and the visions that we've seen have not been delivered to Daniel personally. They've been delivered to other people, to two other kings. And Daniel has been only given the interpretation. Now Daniel is being given the vision, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And then last week we talked about how that points us forward to Jesus. And today we're going to talk about that interpretation. So out of the sea, the winds were blowing from all four directions. And out of the sea arises these four beasts, one after the other, each one a little bit more menacing, a little bit less regal in nature until this fourth beast rise out with not even animals that Daniel knew how to describe. He describes a lion, he describes a bear, he describes a, a cheetah, but then the next one is just a big old monster, ten horns, and horns growing up out of the side of it, out of the inside of it, and then mouth, mouths and eyes on side of these horns, and these horns are talking, and Daniel doesn't even actually have the words to describe what he's seeing here. Which leads to some questions. Let's read this together. We're going to read chapter 7, verses 15 to 28. Remember, the longer I read out loud, the lower my reading level is. So forgive me. We're going to start at verse 15. So forgive me, beginning in verse 16. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. He told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are the four kings that shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different. From all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and its claws of bronze, with which it devoured and broke into pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. 
and about the ten horns that were on his head, and the other horn that came up before which three horns, three of them fell. The horns had eyes and mouths and speaking great things, and that seemed greater than its champions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. Until the Ancient of Days, and we talked about that last week, that's God, came in judgment and was given the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as for the fourth beast, and this is the, the being that Daniel saw there. He's talking to him. As for the fourth beast, there shall be a kingdom on earth which shall be different from all the other kingdoms. And it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down, break it into pieces. As for its ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and he shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High. He shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law. And they shall be given to him a time, times, and half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom, and the, and the dominion, and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and his dominions shall serve and obey him. Verse 28, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed and I kept the matter in my heart. You guys ever woken up in the middle of the night from one of those dreams that you can't quite explain? All you know is that you're scared. You ever walked into the bathroom and kind of seen that your coloring's a little bit differently? Differently? A little bit different? Daniel has seen one of these dreams. Have you guys ever had dreams where you're dreaming? It's very clear. You wake up and then you go back to sleep and that dream's still there. Daniel's having one of those dreams. One of those dreams, sometimes I have them where, where I can't tell whether or not what I'm dreaming is real or fake. So I, I start to think of solutions if I'm having an argument or trying to parent one of my children or as is most likely, um, most of my dreams, all the dreams that I remember, I'm like James Bond trying to save the world. Like if I wake up and have a dream, that's, that's what I'm dreaming about, me being a superhero saving the world. But most of the time, so I'm dreaming and I get myself in a situation where I can't figure out how to get out of it. So I'll try to think of a solution in my awake time. And I'll fall back asleep and I'll dream it and then I'll act out that solution. That's pretty awesome. So Daniel has this dream. He sees these beasts. He kind of comes to for a minute and then he kind of goes back into this dream again. Except for this time when he's back in the dream, he sees someone standing there. Instead of just the beasts rising out, there's a being. And so he decides to walk up to the being and say what the heck's going on here because this is getting weird and I'm scared that it's going to get weirder so I'm going to need you to explain it to me 
I don't really necessarily care about the first three beasts. I want to know about the weird beast, the scary beast, the different beast. I want to know about him. I want to know why the horn came up out of the middle and three of the horns fell out and then that horn had teeth and mouths and why it was stomping on everything. I want to know about that one. And so the being begins to explain it to him. As Ed was rolling out the, the beasts for us, he also compared it for us with the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2. Check out this picture. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream is four successive kingdoms, uh, each a little bit less in its, in its quality, in its character. Gold, silver, bronze, iron, clay. You see, Nebuchadnezzar's dream is a statue of a great king. Nebuchadnezzar's dream seems to be man-oriented. See, these kingdoms stack up one on top of the other. They fall one after another. But it's always still a king with a crown on its head, standing great. Daniel is given the dream by God. So is there a chance that Nebuchadnezzar dreams the world the way man sees it. And Daniel dreams the world and these kingdoms the way God sees them. Go to this next one. This next one. You see these beasts. The lion with the wings. and It stands up as the wings ripped off. Stands like a man. So it's a beast that then walks like a man which seems to point us to Nebuchadnezzar and him being humbled. And the bear and the cheetah. All of these are rising out of the great sea. Not just in the Bible, but other Near East literature. Like I said last week, the sea is often used as a metaphor for chaos and opposition to God. Think about this song that we just sang. Before the people of Israel could make it to the Jordan River to cross into the promised land, they had to come up against a sea. A sea that represented chaos and opposition to God. But you see, God split that sea open so that we could walk across, saying that you don't have to be opposed to me. I'm not opposed to you. I am for you. When we dream, when we see the world, we see the world that's a little bit more noble than it really is. These kingdoms could have represented the next four kingdoms leading us to Rome. It, depending on who you ask, whether you lump the Medo-Persians together or give them separately, the fourth beast could have been Alexander the Great in Greece or it could have been the Roman Empire. And I think we could really get ourselves bogged down on all of that. But if you think about it, if you think about these beasts and their lust for power, their hunger and thirst for blood, did it really end there in Rome? Do we not see that in Russia in the early 1900s? 
Did we not see it in Germany in the 1940s? We not see it in North Korea? We not see these people hungering and thirsting for this picture of a statue of a king that they may be the gold head on top? Even down to the point where you realize that everything, everything that you and I encounter on our daily lives is a part of this fourth beast. This beast who is hungry, who is desperate for power and dominion. But we're told here at the beginning, verse uh, 18, chapter 7, verse 18, but it says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possesses the kingdom forever, forever and ever. You and I have been promised a kingdom while we're in the middle of a beast after a beast after a beast. It's an election year, right? Depending on who you ask, one of these two people who gets elected is going to be the next beast that rise up and will destroy the world. One of them will be that, or both of them will be that, or none of them will be that because they find themselves as agents of this fourth beast. Think about it for a minute. You and I have been promised to possess a kingdom forever and ever. But this year we're going to be asked to vote. And this is one of the most important elections in recent memory, I'm told. Why? Because this next president could place three Supreme, jo- just, Supreme Court justices, which will shape the laws of our country. We read in there that this fourth beast will seek to change the laws. So this fourth beast... Is it Alexander the Great in Greece? Is it Nero, Domitian? They were ruthless to Christians, murdering them. Nero, lighting them on fire in his courtyard so that it may be lit at night. Is this fourth beast Nero? Or is this fourth beast the kingdom of darkness? The kingdom of the devil? The kingdom of Satan? And it seems like we can't get away from it. And so I found it interesting this week that we are reading from the book of a man from Judah who is exiled, finding himself captive to kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. New rules, new laws, new ways of living. Even so much so 
that this book, this chapter, chapter 7, is written in two different languages. It's written in one language because that was the language of Nebuchadnezzar and his people. The book starts out being written, chapter 1 in Hebrew. Then it switches over to Aramaic. And now here in the middle of chapter 7, the language switches back to the Hebrew language. Think about this. The culture that Daniel is living in goes from, this is my language, to learn a new language. To going back to my original language. The country that you and I live in, seeing the laws change just about every day, says this is my language. This is how we say things. When I was a kid, there was a sign on the bathroom with a little lady with a triangle with a circle on top, right? And the boy was two sticks with a rectangle and a circle on top. And that's how you knew which bathroom to go into. As things begin to progress here, we're no longer seeing those things. I'm not making a commentary on whether or not that's right or wrong. We can talk about that after. What I'm saying is that the language is changing. The language, the rules, the law is changing. And it looks like with this election, change may become permanent. So where do we hope? Are we supposed to vote? Are you supposed to vote this year? You are supposed to vote. And here's my challenge to you. I will never tell you who or how to vote, but I will tell you that you should vote. Because this is why. God has already set in order the events that will take place to make whoever to be president to become president. But he has given you citizenship and freedom to participate in that process. For you to say that I don't need to vote because God's already got it in his hands is the same thing for you and I to say, well, we don't need to go tell the world that Jesus saves. God's already got it in his hands. God's already got it taken care of. He has given you the freedom to do it. So do it. Vote the Bible. Not your heart. Remember, your heart is deceitful. It is desperately sick. Don't vote your heart. Vote your Bible. Which is why I tell you every week, if you don't own a Bible, take that one with you. Because this beast is rising up. The waters of the sea are churning. And he will seek to change all of the laws. You've been given the freedom to participate. Participate. Also, rest assured that you, no matter who becomes president, have a kingdom awaiting your possession. You have a hope awaiting your occupation. There's a kingdom waiting for you to come. And there's hope waiting for you to occupy it. All purchased for you through the blood of Jesus. 
Who are the ten horns that come after this beast? Are they agents of this beast? Because the ten horns seem to be attached to that beast. So, what? We could spend all of our time trying to get down to the bottom and understand this. But part of apocalyptic literature is that it's all symbology. It's all symbolic of something. So it's not as important what or who as the what or who it passes on to. Nebuchadnezzar was told by Daniel that there is a stone that will be cut out of the mountain and it will bring to dust every kingdom of the world. Here, we're told, verse 21, As I looked, the horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. The horn made war against you and me, saints. And it prevailed over us. Our victory is not about here and now, right? Until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. And like we talked about last week, the kingdom is not something for our possession one day. We will physically possess it. We will physically occupy it one day. But when Jesus walked out of that grave, judgment was issued. The dominion of the beasts was stamped out. Though some of them continued on for a while, though you and I still experience the hardship and feel like we are being defeated as this war is waged against us. As we say, we, we see in the scriptures that marriage is this. And the Supreme Court says, no, marriage can be this. And, and we feel like we're losing ground. And, and you read and you search the internet and you see that there are saints on the other side of the planet who are having their life taken from them. I got to spend a little time with my brother this week. And he said, do you remember? Do you remember Peter's words in his prayer as he was released from prison? And he caught me at a loss. I couldn't remember. You remember what Peter prayed upon his first release from prison? He didn't pray, God, help me stay out of prison. He didn't say, Lord, give me the words that I may prevail against my enemy. But his prayer was, God, grant me boldness that I may never back down in fear of going back to that place. This beast is terrifying. God, grant me boldness. He's going to seek to destroy us and he will prevail over us at times. God, grant me boldness. He will change the rules and the laws 
God grant me boldness. Boldness comes from studying and knowing the Word. Every Thursday night we gather downstairs to pray at 6 o'clock. We take prayer requests and we pray over them. You're welcome to put that on a card or a piece of paper in the black boxes and we'll pray for those. Hey, heck, even more than writing it on a piece of paper and letting us pray for it, join us that we may pray together. But before we go to the Lord with our requests, Scripture tells us to make our requests known to the Lord. Not that He doesn't know them, but we're linking up. But before we do that, we read through the Scriptures and remind ourselves of an attribute of God. Who the Bible says God is. So that we may tell our prayer requests who our God is. Not tell our God what our needs are. So join us Thursday nights as we pray. But we study to know those attributes that we may know who God is. You guys remember the, the joke? This, my son's never said this. Uh, but I think I might have said it about my dad. Right? Like my dad can beat your dad up. You guys, nobody? Just me? Like three people over here. So everybody else's dad must have been like my dad. For Brianna, your dad's a big, tough guy. Right? My dad's tougher than your dad. My dad can beat you, your dad up. My son would just say, my dad's genes are skinnier than yours. <laughs> but see, where does that come from? It comes from a belief of thinking you know who your dad is. Right? Because in your mind, your dad is the hero of the story. But as soon as Brianna's dad walks up next to my dad, it's kind of game over. Right? He's a big, hulking, strong guy, and my dad's smaller. He's my dad. So I could walk around with this fake sense of security and who my dad is and the strength that my dad possesses. But as soon as someone can change that, I have to back down, right? That's why it's so imperative that you and I run to and know the scriptures. Because the enemy seeks to prevail over us. And though he may take our life, can never have my soul. My soul belongs to the Lord. And I know in the end, He prevails. He wins. Because I know that He already won. He took my sin. He took my shame. He took everything that was broken inside of me upon Himself. That His body would be broken in my place. And then he took my death. But it wasn't a losing proposition because you see, Jesus knew who his dad was. Every time Satan came at Jesus with the Bible says this, 
Jesus said, yeah, but the Bible says this. And though this is true, that has to bow to this. So yes, God will never allow me to be hurt. But he also says don't put him to the test. Jesus was able to answer scripture with the scriptures. He knew it because he was it. And you've been given his life. You can know it. Because this kingdom, this beast, this beast will leave you greatly alarmed. And at times it will make your color change. Unless you are reminded constantly that the stone cut from the mountain brings all of these kingdoms to dust. Unless you keep in mind that the stone that the builders, that the architects, that the religious elite rejected is the cornerstone in which everything that you and I stand on is held together. The beast is still alive. The beast is still fighting. His dominion has been taken from him. He will one day ultimately be destroyed. And until that day, he will seek to destroy you. So God grant us boldness. God grant us clarity of thought. God grant us desire and devotion for the word that we may know the truth. Because why? The truth does what? It sets us free. So I'm not a slave to fear. I'm not a slave to desert mentality. But I am a child, a son. You are his daughter. I am a son of righteousness. And so we're going to come to the table this morning with that in mind. And so as you come, I'm asking that you would pray and say, God, grant me boldness. God, grant me clarity of thought. And God, grant me desire and devotion to your word. Because the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus granted me access into all of that. That I may no longer be afraid. That I may live free. And live forever. So I'm going to come up here and return us to musical worship. And as we do that, come when your heart is ready. One of the trays has some glass cups. So if you've got a glass cup, don't throw it in the trash. Just put it in the pew holder in front of you and I'll grab that. As we sing, you come.